What's going on? It's your girl, Summer Willow. And this is Karen. And we are the ladies who love <laughs> hip hop. And you're listening to The Michelle Mission. With Lenny and Vince, y'all. Yes, two men, one podcast, every black film ever made. And they are rocking out. Are you listening? Are ya? Welcome once again to another stop on the Michelle Mission, Two Men, One Podcast, Every Black Film Ever Made. My name is Vincent Williams, and I am joined as always by... Hey, what's up? Holla at your boy. This is Len, a.k.a. The Bat Tribble. And on this stop, we will begin our annual Oktoberfest of horror movies <laughs> with one of the great masters of the genre Wes Craven Wes Craven to you what did I say? you said Wes did I say Wes? Wes Craven <laughs> and his 1991 film The People Under the Stairs would we call it a classic? a sleeper film? Uh, I don't know if you could say it a sleep. well I guess sleeper because the it made more money than they probably expected. Right, right. Sleeper hit. Cult favorite? I guess. Because it has its fans. It does have its fans. It has its fans. It has and its we fans. will find out on this episode, does it have two more fans? We certainly shall. But before we do that, as always, we like to follow up on all of the feedback that we get from all of you, including in emails. Where we got an email from Maurice Poplar. Hey, what's up, Maurice? Saying, don't hate on Norbit. <laughs> Gentlemen, obviously we all have our own opinions, but don't believe the hype. Norbit was hysterical. Lowbrow? Absolutely. In poor taste? Sure. But it was funny as hell. Not saying you need to fast track it before uh, 200, but 203? As we say, shooting pool, rack them up. Mo. You know what? Norbit has its fans. Well, I know Norbit has we've its met fans one now. Apparently, no, no. I I think we've met two. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna call anyone out. I feel like one of our show missionaries is a fan of it that we know. If I remember a conversation that we had a few years ago, and correctly, I think, and I think I know who you're referring to. But but suffice it to say, Norbit does have its fans, and their fans. That I respect their opinion. I remember thinking, maybe I need to revisit Norbit. Mm. So, as Mo said, I don't know about up to 200, but around 203, maybe we need to revisit Norbit. Because it is now two people that I respect their opinion that I've heard say that they like Norbit. Well, eventually we'll get to it. Eventually we'll get to it. no matter what it is, it is decidedly a black film. Yes. So we will have to check it out. Right. Oh, the, the, oh my! Oh my God! The, the children are all, all over the place. Yes. Yes. This. This. <laughs> the background noises is my son Adam making an unannounced guest appearance on the Michelle mission. But he's always welcome. But he's always welcome, this and is- he's always loud. <laughs> so when my daughter was a baby, okay, 
took her to class with me. Oh. So she was born. My wife was on maternity leave mm-hmm. for three months, mm-hmm. which she was born in January, which then went right into summer. Right. And then I took Camille with me to class. Okay. When she was like three months old, three, four months old, I'd have her in a little baby carriage and for years would take her to class. And I would give her, I'd have her in the baby carriage, I'd give her a piece of chalk, I'd have a piece of chalk. We'd both draw on the board. Oh, okay. When she was old enough to walk, she would come to class, I'd draw a line down the middle of the chalkboard, or the whiteboard, and I'd give her a piece of chalk, or give her a marker, and I'd say, that side is yours, this side is mine. Wow. Until she went to school. Like for five, really? six years, if for some reason she had to come to class with me, it was not a problem at all. Wow. She wasn't a distraction at all. No, I mean, you know, once the kids got over the oohs, ahs, and I'd say, settle, you know, it's time to do work. Mm-hmm. But she did her thing until the first grade. Wow. And then, you know, obviously she was just in school every day. Right. That one? <laughs> So my child, as I tell my wife, because my child is my daughter. My oh, child was born there. in January. <laughs> we're doing that. That's what we're doing. Her child was born in February. Same situation. He's a, he was a month younger. One time, I took that boy to class. Mm-hmm. He heard me talking. He said, well, apparently now it's time to talk. He started yelling, making a whole bunch of noise, Mm -hmm. and then he put something in his diaper that cleared out the whole room. (laughs) My daughter lasted six years. That one, 20 minutes. And, oh no, we tried it again, and and yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we tried two more times with with Adam, took me taking him to class, and we're going to, so... They are, they are they are two different children. So Camille, child of God. Yes. Adam, son of Satan. Yes. 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 Or child of loud God. <laughs> okay. Old Old Testament God. There you go. Right. Adam, Old Testament. Old Testament. <laughs> Camille, New, New Testament. Testament. Right. So. Yeah, you just had them in reverse. So we'll apologize in advance. <laughs> For any rockiness in this episode, <laughs> sonically. You know, I don't believe your wife listens to the show, but I know friends of yours listen right. to no, the show. No, she listens. She she's behind now because she but but yeah. Mm-hmm. But friends of yours listen to uh-huh. the show. They're gonna get on the phone. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, oh they know. Oh, to be a fly on the Oh, everybody knows. Everybody knows. This is no secret. That is my loud, rambunctious child right there. Um, Before we get too deep into the notes, I think it's worth saying that both of us, as well as the missionaries, were saddened at the uh, passing of Diane Carroll. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. Earlier this week. Um, Yeah, absolutely. uh, I posted a clip 
of us speaking about her from our Paris Blues episode mm-hmm. on the internet, and and more than a few fans appreciate it. Rojo uh, pointed out that that was a very touching um, tribute to her, um, and you know I like Di- Diane Carroll, but I. I know in no way did she mean to me what she meant to you. Oh yeah, I loved her so much. Mm-hmm. I loved her so much. Just, just her poise and her character. And I just thought she played iconic characters. Mm-hmm. The thing that I've enjoyed about the celebration of her career over the past week, I had forgotten how much I loved Dom- Dominique Devereaux from uh, from Dynasty. From Dynasty, yeah. She was amazing on Dynasty. Yeah, I read an interesting story about her role on there where she basically told the writers, you know, because she was reading the script and she, you know, she wanted to do the role. Right, she, right, she right. Show. But she said, write this character as a white man. Yeah, oh yeah. I'll play it. Right. Trust me, I'll be me, but I want you to write it as a white man because that's the stuff that Dominique would do. And the the scenes between she and Joan Collins mm-hmm. as Alexis Carrington. Yeah. Just just the purest example of that high camp <laughs> that made Dynasty such a classic show. Yeah. yeah. There's a clip floating around with the first time they meet that is remarkable really with the one up the one upmanship that mm-hmm. these two characters are going and and I'm you know I know this from Diane Carroll's uh, biography but you can see it on the screen the two actresses are having such a ball oh i'm sure oh, oh the fun comes off of the screen with these two eating up the scenery. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but Dominique Devereaux, obviously Julia and Claudine. I'm waiting for things to calm down so that I start to see those great clips of her as Whitley's mother. Okay. On a different world. I forgot that she was on Grey's Anatomy for a few episodes. Oh, really? Was right, she? she played Isaiah Washington's mother's, okay. Isaiah Washington's character's mother. Okay, and she was great on that. But but Diane Carroll really just played these iconic figures. She herself was an iconic figure, mm-hmm. and and it it is it's a great loss. Yeah, it it really is a great loss. Yeah, I was we were very saddened uh, at her passing, um, but we all our prayers go out to her family. Yeah, um, of the great Diane Carroll, and and we've spoken about her three times. We, because she was in Eve's Bayou. Yep. She obviously starred in Claudine. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, Paris Blues, I think, is the first time yeah. that we spoke of, of Diane Carroll. And so. along this mission, we will speak of her many times more. Absolutely. So we, we, will, um, we will return to the world of Diane Carroll. Absolutely. Uh, George Kimona. Hey, what's up, George? Our own little researcher. <laughs> In response to our show last week that we did with Daryl Charles. Yes. Uh, reviewing the distinct, distinguished gentleman. Yes, we did. And ladies and gentlemen, I just want to let you know, um, this is a free plug. Daryl Charles showing up at Helium Nightclub. He yes, he is. October 16th. October 16th. October 16th. PM. Daryl Charles. Tickets on sale now. All right. There you go. D, that's one free one. Uh, 
we mentioned in that, <laughs> in that review. They say what you want about the distinguished gentleman. It's not twa. Twa. Which twa. Um, the movie directed by Rob Hardy was. <laughs> I can't believe you start with the director of Twilight. Solomon Smith, Kenya Moore, Gretchen Palmer, and Gary Dordan. Wait, is that the first one? Oh, yes. Monica Calhoun is not in the first one? No. (gasps) No, you didn't know that? I did. Well, you'll have to excuse me. I'm a little behind. I'm a little unclear (laughs) with the details of the Twilight universe. Of the Twilight saga. (laughs) Yes. Yes. No, no, no. Uh, I believe she comes in like in the second one. Um, <laughs> I missed my guess. Around the, I mean, seven pull, sixteen mark. Pull them up. How many? How many twas were there? Oh, Vince, are you going to make me? Do I that? am absolutely <laughs> making you do twa research. Oh, oh my lord! How many twa movies? How many twa movies were there? <laughs> Please. All right. Let's see. Twa. There, there's there's twa. <laughs> the original, the standard bear, if you will, <laughs> is. Is that what we're calling it? The standard bear. Oh, my God. All right. Well, there's Twa. There's Twa. Which was just, you know, the first one. The first one. Then there's Twa 2. Twa 2. Colon. Colon. Pandora's Box. Ooh. Is that the one Monica Calhoun? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let us see. This one stars Michael J. White. Christoph St. John, oh Tyson Beckford, oh no. and Monica and Calhoun. Monica Calhoun. That's right. Um, then there is <laughs> Twa Colon. Colon. The Escort. Ooh, Twa the Escort. Because <laughs> now it's a franchise. <laughs> Because the original title was probably like Twa Presents. <laughs> um, this one stars Brian Brian White, Regan Gomez, Preston, and Isaiah Washington. Isaiah Washington. Go ahead, because there's nothing like talking about a film series about menage a trois <laughs> and your toddler runs in. <laughs> This is my life now. This is my life. Well, here's where I'll save you a little bit, Vince. Twa 2, Pandora's Box. Yes. And Twa Colon, The the Escort, escort were both direct-to-video films. Okay. However, as George Kimona so lovingly pointed out, Twa, the original... <laughs> was released to theaters. Boom! There it is on the docket. Actually, it on a budget of two hundred thousand, it grossed one point, just shy of one point two million dollars. Oh, that's not bad. So it turned a profit. Oh, absolutely. Well, people love Twa. People love Twa. Did you see Twa in the movies? In the movies? Did you see Twa in the movies? No. Tell the truth. Shame the devil. I did not see it in the movies. I didn't either. I actually didn't know they were in the movies. <laughs> no, I I can say I saw the movie. Oh, yeah. Um, and actually, a funny story, not necessarily about Twa, but about Kenya Moore. Okay. Who is, I'm sure, I haven't seen her in years, but 
was a gorgeous woman. Oh, I went to school, Kenya Moore. No, you didn't. Yeah, she went to Maryland. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, she was bad then too. Oh, she was no, she was no joke. Oh yeah, she's a fine woman. Not the greatest actress. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't know what you were gonna say. With all disrespect. It's a very special episode of the Michelle Mission, ladies and gentlemen. Two men, one boy. Okay. <laughs> Every black film ever made. Oh, boy. Yes, not the greatest actress. Not the greatest actress. However, you know, Kenya Moore, who... Was she Miss America? She was Miss USA, or like she was, she was, she actually won a pageant. She was yeah, a pageant. She won a pageant. I mean, that was her thing. She was right. doing pageants. And one time, this is years ago. And let me just clarify something. When I say I knew Kenya Moore, like I've been in places with Kenya Moore, but. But she was in a different ecosystem than I was. Ah, uh, gotcha. Okay. Episode ever because I am not stopping the tape as you just figured out, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I am just watching Vince melt on the microphone as his son Adam keeps coming into the room. You realize as soon as we are done, he's going to be unconscious. Oh, of course. <laughs> no, no, no. What he'll do is he'll pull out three books and he'll sit on the floor quietly. <laughs> going through his books or he'll do some puzzles quietly mm-hmm. or he'll play with some Legos quietly. But not while we're but here. But not right now. <laughs> not now. He's doing a one-legged bunny hop. I mean, he's having a good time. Um, Where was I? Funny story about Kenya Moore, not the world's greatest actress. Years ago, I used to do uh, a little comic strip um, and it was called Bubbles. Mm-hmm. And it was basically like I just drew this like this light bulb and in four panels he would do movie commentary. Okay. And on one of them, I sincerely thought because at this time, at this time, they were still having trouble even coming up with an idea for a Wonder Woman movie. Right. So I had proposed <laughs> that let's be radical. Let's be radical. Before the Marvel Cinematic Universe, all of that type of stuff. Let's be radical. Let's just throw it out there. Let's just find someone who, first of all, will look great as Wonder Woman. Yes. And my suggestion was Kenya Moore. <laughs> I swear to God, because I said, if we're going to go with a black Wonder Woman, then I want her to be a black Wonder Woman. Right, 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 right. And, you know, her her acting talent, while suspect at the time, she was still very young in her acting. Y- yes. So my thought was, okay, you know, you, you, you get her a trainer. I mean, she's already got the body type. Yes. Get her a trainer to get it maybe a little bit more defined if you if you want. You work with her, get her a strong director. 
as long as she can do the stunts and looks good in glasses. Exactly. It, it could Prince, be yeah, absolutely. I think you'd got a winner. Okay. And well, it it went nowhere. <laughs> and and my my fans didn't like it either. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, you're just loving that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> loving this. Oh, yeah. I am. I am. You're not? Are you not entertained? <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that uh, Tony Bagels posted a video in our Facebook um, group? Where there actually was people went inside the Tyler Perry Studios. Yeah, yeah. I've seen a bunch of videos. Seen a bunch of videos. I'm I that is such an accomplishment. Oh yeah. That is that is an amazing accomplishment. I'm very happy and dare I say proud of Tyler Perry. I am too. Um I'm happy for him. Yeah. I'm not going to say 100% that I'm proud of Tyler Perry, but I'm happy for him and I'm happy for his success. Um, There's a part of me, though, that there's a part of me, and the videos are great, you know, everyone's there, Whoopi Goldberg, Oprah Winfrey, Halle Berry, um, you know, uh, all of the cast from all of his shows and stuff like that. I saw Ludacris walking around there. Um, your girl Shirley Ralph I know but there's a part of me that looks at that opening and it's very gaudy the breaking of the champagne against the wall and everything like that it's it's, it's very ostentatious what he's doing there and there's nothing wrong with that I suppose but then I look at the news, at least that I saw from a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. with Ava DuVernay opening up her film distribution and studio in California. Yeah. And unless I missed the videos, I didn't see that it was anything on this level. No, no, it wasn't. Grandiosity. Yeah. To it. Um, and... While I appreciate her understated way of opening it and, and doing the work, and let's and, and because and because her like Tyler Perry was already doing the work, right, so right, right. She just got her, and, and she didn't. I mean, she doesn't have a studio though. Well, okay, she doesn't have a studio, but I mean, I mean, this is a huge deal. I guess. I, look, man. It is. I guess. I get. I. All right. All right. All right. It is. It is. It is. All right. Like sound stages, and I mean, he's it's a studio, and it's the first time somebody black has gotten this. Yeah, look, and you, it's his own owner. You cannot take this away from him, man. Yeah, yeah, you cannot now. now yeah, okay. I think there were reports about some 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 union issues that have come up fairly recently with some of his plays. And those are reports that are reflective of something that has, that have dogged him throughout his career. Oh yeah. I did hear about that. With with him not using union labor and, and, um, 
Yeah, and it's actually two actors. And basically paying people right. Right. Uh, two actors. And that is an paying. issue. Like, that is something that needs to be addressed. But right. I, I just want to just read this uh, to the, from The Root. Uh, two actor unions tell their members not to perform in Tyler Perry's newest Medea stage play. Because um, he, he's saying that, you know, the, like, for those, those exact same reasons that you're saying, like, they're not paying right. And I think that should be addressed. And I think that is something that as we rightfully celebrate Tyler Perry and his accomplishments mm-hmm. and his level of ownership yeah. that we talk about so much, that is an actual blemish that in is- my mind on, on Tyler Perry's legacy well, and I- on what he's building. But as far as as taking something away from this studio, I don't I don't think. I don't think that can be denied. What the level of accomplishment that he has gotten, and 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 I applaud him. Like I applaud this. I'm happy for him, and I'm proud of him for doing it. Okay. And I still think he makes a lot of shitty movies. Like I think two things can be true at once. Yeah. See, and that's my thing. That's my thing. It's to me. It's like a lot of. Austin and like you're right you should uh, you want to celebrate the uh, achievement the accomplishment and I do too but there's a part of me that just wishes that it wasn't celebrating such mediocre you know output and again that's all subjective like we're calling it mediocre I mean we've had this discussion and we keep having this discussion and we're going to keep having this discussion like I think he makes shitty movies, but lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of other people disagree with me. Right. In my opinion, is no better than theirs. I just got a podcast, a podcast where I can correct in real time. I did not go to school with Kenya Moore. We had another beauty queen who was at our school and one of the other housewives went to our school. And I forget which one, which shows you a how little vested I am in the housewife universe, but more importantly, B, as I said about Kenya Moore, the ecosystem that these women traveled in were so far removed from my ecosystem mm. that it might as well have been Kenya Moore. Gotcha. Like it was somebody who was Miss Virgin Islands. Like there was, it was like a, a vein of, of models in, in beauty people. Okay. We 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 didn't go to the same parties. Did not. We weren't in the same. Place. You weren't invited. To yeah, I was. Parties. I was invited. And if I, outside looking in. And if I was invited, I didn't stay there long because this was not my type of jam right here. Oh, okay, all right. It's, it's like, yeah, you know, the, the the dining hall opens back up in an hour. I'm gonna go get some buffalo wings. What you gonna do? Well, I have to catch a flight to Paris for a shoot. Huh. Okay then. All right. <laughs> Well, I'm going to go get on these buffalo wings. Right. Right. I'm going to pick my face up and go get on these buffalo wings. Yes. All right, ladies and gentlemen, before we get into our review or we have another uh, cameo visit. (laughs) (laughs) See, you summoned them. Uh, You actually summoned them. I spoke too soon. You actually summoned them. Yes, yes, son. It's a C. It's a C. C for what? See for Camille. That's right. All right, going back. Go ahead. This cameo brought to you by the letter C. <laughs> C 
for Camille. C for Camille. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, Vince and I have been chugging it along on this mission, but now we have taken an off-ramp, and we are on the road to 200. Yes, sir. And we finally, finally, now it can be told exactly what we have in store for episode 200. Okay. I am so very freaking excited. I know. All right. So hold hold your hats, ladies and gentlemen. Episode 200 of the Michelle Mission is going to be a live show. We're doing it live here in Philadelphia at the world famous World Cafe Live right in the uh, heart of Center City, Philadelphia. It's going to be on Thursday, February 27th at 9 p.m. Vince and I and you will be there to review the 1970s crime classic classic shaft and then the strings come in and then it goes oh 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 we're too loud really we're too loud <laughs> we're too loud adam has said shh <laughs> Best episode. <laughs> Please bring him to two hundred. Oh my goodness gracious! <laughs> yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be re- reviewing Shaft for episode two hundred, and because it's a seventies classic, and because we're doing it live, and because this is our two hundredth episode, we couldn't stop there. So we are also doing a 70s soundtrack Soul Train dance party at episode That's 200. right. We are going to get our groove thing on. We are going to do the Soul Train line. We're going to play all the hits from all the great 70s movies. So I think we're going to have a whole lot of Quincy Jones and um, all your favorite, I think we'll have a lot of music from ICKs from this. From <laughs> yes, that. we will. We will certainly have a lot, a lot of his music. Um, it is going to be incredible fun. We're going to have prizes. We're going to have giveaways. We're going to have specials. And and hopefully, each and every one of you that come will be wearing your best 70s accoutrement because me and Vince are going to be totally 70s out. That's right. Decked out. I have I am actually people let me know. Let me know if you if you if you've seen it. I am on the hunt for some extremely wide bell bottom <laughs> red slacks. You mean you don't have a pair in your in your closet? Unfortunately, the uh, moths got to them. Oh. Them and my brown leather chaps. Oh. So uh, I need to replace them. But I am looking. That's what I'm looking for. I cannot wait. 
is going to be the Michelle Mission Live episode 200 reviewing Shaft with our 70s soundtrack Soul Train Dance Party at World Cafe Live Thursday, February 27th, 9 p.m. And tickets are on sale now. Now, now, now. They are on sale now, ladies and gentlemen. They are on sale now. You can go to our website, michellemission.com, and find and find all the information and the links to buy the tickets. Or you can go to worldcafelive.com. You can buy the tickets there. They are available now. Uh, seating is limited. Mm. Seating is limited. So grab them now, ladies and gentlemen. You're like, oh, this is in February. Grab them now. Yeah, I'm yeah, telling yeah. You, grab them now. It's going to be oh, it's going to be so much fun. I cannot wait. <sighs> All right. All right. Well. The time has come, ladies the and gentlemen, for us to get our Oktoberfest on the come. way and review the people under the stairs. We'll be right back with our movie review after we step to these messages. the street to avoid. Now, Wes Craven, creator of A Nightmare on Elm Street, takes you inside. Something's in there. We gotta get out of here, Leroy. All sorts of rumors about what goes on in that house. The police never took it serious. She's been feeding that thing between the walls again. Very, very tense about this. What goes on in this house is a sin. But what goes on under the stairs is a nightmare. Wes Craven's The People Under the Stairs. The People Under the Stairs is a 1991 horror thriller. Some would say comedy. I think maybe more satire than comedy, but we'll talk about that film. Written and directed by horror master Wes Craven, starring Brandon Adams, Everett McGill, Wendy Roby, A.J. Langer, Ving Rhames, and Sean Whalen. The plot revolves around a young boy and two adult robbers who become trapped in a house belonging to a strange couple after breaking in to steal their collection of rare coins and also seeking revenge for the couple who are also landlords who want to tear down the family's building. People Under the Stairs, 1991, directed by Wes Craven, was the choice of Lynn Webb, our first stop in our October Horror Fest. Lynn Webb, what do you say about the People Under the Stairs? Um, all right. 
I ain't never seen this movie before. I thought I did, but I don't know what I thought it. I thought thought I saw, but I had never actually seen this movie. Before. You're thinking about Lethal Weapon Two. The films have similarities. They do have similarities. Yeah, yeah. Lethal Weapon right. Two. People under the stairs. People do that all the time. I always confuse the two. Um, but having uh, watching this movie for the, the first time, I was pleasantly surprised by more than a few things. Um, first of all, while Wes Craven is definitely considered a master at horror. Right. But I haven't watched a lot of Wes Craven. Oh, okay. But the Wes Craven that I've watched, I've liked some. Uh, some I've really liked, of mm-hmm. course, Nightmare on Elm Street. Right, right. Um, and some, you know, particularly like, the first one. Right. Yeah. Uh, and some was like, uh, I think you're reaching here. Okay. You know what I mean, I don't think he necessarily sticks the landing every time. Sure. Um, also, I couldn't remember, and I didn't really look it up. You know how many of those films he had just written and someone else directed, right. which I think is more often. The right, case. right. Again, once you get past the first nightmare. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So I couldn't remember whether or not I really enjoyed his direction. Mm-hmm. So watching this film and seeing that it was both written and directed by him, I was actually pleasantly surprised at how much I did like the direction of the film. Mm-hmm. I thought that it was actually expertly done. Um, he was he was definitely very like like he was more than competent. I think he, he takes some chances with some of his shots. Um, he he's daring in some places. He built he he builds up tension, but he is also plays fair with the audience. I thought it was very very kind of interesting how he he builds up tension, yet he He's also showing you how the sausage is made. Yes, you know absolutely. I mean? so that's absolutely. what I really, I really liked about what was happening in this movie, um, which I think then, while the trappings of it seem horror, I don't think uh-huh. that this is necessarily a horror film. I think it is more of a satire, um, not a comedy. Right. But definitely a satire. Right, right. And it's a satire on so many things because there's so many, like, you know, things that this movie is a commentary on. It's a commentary on gentrification, Mm -hmm. uh, on class warfare, on race, um, on on just uh, parenting. Um, It's also, also, uh, and I don't think people pointed out so much is a commentary a little bit on child abuse because how about that there's like i mean there are scenes in this movie where if this movie was made in 2018 you'd be like yo what's going on here right like right there's i mean and i'm not even talking about the scenes of where the there are kids literally like you know roped up Right, or handcuffed up to the ceiling and stuff right. like that. I'm talking about there's one scene where two kids are literally thrown on the bed and shaken, yeah, very violently yeah. by two two grown ravenous adults. Yeah. Um. There's a, another scene where one guy who purports to be the father of one child 
goes into the room pulling off his belt and and but also saying words that not only are insinuating violence but maybe even possibly like sexual absolutely absolutely so i'm like ooh this is this is rough and i think only because of the the aura of satire that is decidedly in this movie right from the jump do those scenes come off maybe not as rough as they easily could have right you know um you don't look at them like you know wow man that's kind of raw right uh, um so i think i think that's the only thing to saving grace uh in that that being said everything about this movie works Mm-hmm. It's a very competently well crafted, well written movie. I mean, like that's not you know mince words. Wes Craven is not Stephen King with the word. So right. His words are very like you know it's it's a movie. The script works. Yeah, the script works. But but it, no it, one is going to study the yeah, script. Yeah, the shining. Right. You know, but it is it 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 works mm-hmm. and it's. And it's competently put over, first and foremost, by the young man, Brandon Adams. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He is asked to carry this film on his very young shoulders, and he does so very ably. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very ably. I mean, you he's your window into this world, and you are with him at every every step of the way. He is he is at both t- both smarter than everyone in the room mm-hmm. and yet still a child yes and that's what i really appreciate yeah you could see the wheels turning in him but he's still a child that gets scared he's still a child that gets taken advantage of and you can still get to jump on him because he still is a kid yeah uh, yeah which makes this all the more relatable and as crazy as a movie as it is all the more believable. Yeah. You know? Um, so he's he's great in this movie. You know, the, the the slept on heroes of the film are the people that play the play the, the villains. Yes. You know, man mommy, and woman. Man and woman or mommy and daddy, Everett McGill and Wendy Roby. Oh yeah. Man, I could have watched them in anything. Oh yeah, and they were having so much fun. Yeah. Oh yeah. In this movie, they were having a absolute ball, and you could tell it. Um. Yeah. All of a sudden, dude comes comes out in all the whole leather, and I'm like, <laughs> what? The? I, I called it the gimp hunting suit. It's, it's, right. It's right. Right. The gimp. Yeah, because he's shot shotgunning his whole house <laughs> this insane house i mean i don't think the adams family has this i secret know i know it's there are literally slides in the wall yeah that go from upstairs yeah i'm like what the heck is going on to this house but it it, it works it works Ding Rames is in thug mode. I know in this movie. Um, down to his leather pillbox hat, and you know he, you know he's he's Ving Rames. He's not Ving Rames yet. He's not Ving Rames. So he's just Ving Rames, but he's all right. Yeah, I'm look. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're with him. Yeah. You know, you you are with him, and and he still comes off as believable because you know while he's kind of corrupting Brandon Adams' young fool. 
Which side note, fool, as crazy as it is, one of the best nicknames I've ever heard. I know. I really love that nickname. Yeah. I was like, well, that's a cool kind of nickname, man. And it works in the movie. It, yes. They introduce it perfectly in the beginning of the film, exactly how he gets his nickname, a fool. And then it becomes a plot point yeah. later on because the mommy man and woman don't know that the fool is in the house, even though Ving Rhames more or less has told them. Yeah. So it, I was like, wow, that's good. That's good. You know, I, brilliant writing. So Ving Rhames, you know, he he's doing work. Um, everybody's doing this work, work in this movie. The one thing I will say, the one thing that took me out of it for a, a hair mm-hmm. was when um, Fool's grandfather shows up. <laughs> Like three quarters of the way. Where the hell have you been? I know. It's, you know, Grandpa Exposition comes in to like fill in some of the dots right. of what the story hasn't told you for for uh, an hour and a half. You know, but the only reason you buy that because it's Bill Cobb. Oh, so you're just you're just happy to see Bill Cobb exactly. under any circumstances. Exactly. That is so if it true. Wasn't Bill Cobb's, you'd be like, get the. F-. But you know, like I actually, I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> oh, but it's Bill Cobb's. Exactly. All right. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, Bill. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Tell him. Tell him the story. Yeah. So, so that was the one bit I like. Okay, we're going here. Yeah. But other than that, there was there, I really pleasantly enjoyed this movie. Mm-hmm. I thought, and I was so ready for this to be like some really big, creepy, you know, the people under the stairs. Look, it's a hoot. That's the bait and switch, though. Yep. That's the bait and switch when you realize the people under the stairs aren't the monsters. Right. I, I I 100% agree with you and I am a fan of this film and I know it's a running joke on the show that I don't look I don't like horror movies and I like but I am actually a Wes Craven fan oh really yeah I'm a, I'm a Wes Craven fan and I'm not like this isn't my favorite genre horror movies but I like what I like mm-hmm. and one thing that I've always said is that in a lot of ways that 80s trumpeting yeah. of the anti-heroes if you will with 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 Jason and 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 Michael Myers and Leatherface and then you start to have these series that revolved around the monsters. Right. I've always sort of lamented that because I thought that there's this whole there there's a there's a whole bunch of movies that got lost. Because the 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 Jasons and they took and the, over the they genre. became the Marquis. Yeah, yeah. And the irony is that that the the character who, in many ways, was at the leader of the pack, Freddy Krueger. Yeah, per Wes Craven's great creation mm-hmm. helped bury Wes Craven's other films. Okay, I'm a huge fan of the House on the Last House on the Left. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm a huge fan of The Hills Have Eyes. Okay. Swamp Thing sort of escapes it because of the DC part of it, but when we talk about Swamp Thing, if we're not talking about it as as a DC character, we don't really I don't think it really gets the attention that it should mm-hmm. in this genre. 
and the people under the stairs. I really, really enjoy Wes Craven's work. And I think the thing about it not being creepy or, or more of a horror fest like you talk about, I think Wes Craven has always tried to, to oscillate between okay. tones. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he doesn't hit, like like a lot of times it, it doesn't work. But I think when Wes Craven is right, he is right. Okay. And whether we're talking about Nightmare on Elm Street, whether we're talking about a, a few years after this when he makes Scream, mm-hmm. or whether we're talking about this, I think tonally, when he is right, it is right. I think this is a really smart film, as as you mentioned, the satire and the commentary on on everything that you just said, whether we're talking about regentrification, whether we are talking about uh, uh, about race. And I think this is one of the most biting commentaries on how a certain type of whiteness protects you. Okay. Because there are all these moments in the film where because they present this Eisenhower era, leave oh, it to yeah. Beaver yeah. veneer. Mm-hmm. Of With the pipe and everything. That, that the police and authority figures just leave them be. Yeah. And then right under the surface, you have this monstrous reality. Mm-hmm. And I love that Wes Craven is talking about this in 1991. Yeah, yeah. The cast, as you said, Brandon Adams is one of those young actors from this period that showed up everywhere. Yeah, you and, see and him a he, lot on television. And he's a great little actor. Mm-hmm. And I completely agree that this is a perfect kid in one of these films where he's smarter than just than, than most kids who are just plot devices. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he is just a kid. Right. And and besides, I'm a big fan of Newt in Aliens. Right. But besides Newt, this might be one of my favorite kids in okay. one of these movies. I can see that. I can Speaking see that. of kids, I think in a lot of ways, this film has more in common with the Spielberg era kid movies than with horror movies. Okay. What I put in my notes is that in a lot of ways, this is a connective tissue between Goonies and Attack the Block. That's a good one. All right. I can see that. Where, 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 you know, so many of those Spielberg era films, as we talked about in our Attack the Block episode, just the sheer whiteness of it. Yep. You had to kind of try and find a space where Attack the Block not only injected race into it, as far as the cast, mm-hmm. but by speaking of racial issues, yes, and bringing it to the forefront, and bringing it to the forefront, you actually get this really dynamic new, new look at it. Right. So on the one hand, this is a little kid and these monsters, but because of the stakes, there's an urgency right. that you get with it. Every all the cast members that you mentioned, I also. Yes, yes, yes. Apple, apple. Go ahead. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> I tried to hold it as fast as I could. I just wanted to. 
I wanted to add Kelly Jo Minter on the list of the cast members that I enjoy. Does she play? Uh, she plays his sister. Okay. Yeah, Ving Rhames' girlfriend. Mm-hmm. I like her. She's another one of these actresses from the 90s who was always on the periphery. Okay. You know, she was in like a couple of episodes of Different World, and, and you she's always on the periphery. And she was an actress that never got that big, but I always recognized when I saw her. Okay. All right. Yeah, she looked recognized. Yeah. Very familiar. But yeah, this 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 is a I think this is a really good example of Wes Craven's work. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a great little movie. Yeah, it is really it's cool. It's a great little movie, yeah. It's really cool. And it's it's, it's cool to see a film because a lot of times you see the directors, they start talking about their movies and stuff like that and about how their movie is, you know, it's this, it's that. It's a commentary on everything that is going on in society. And then you watch the film and you're like, what the hell are you talking about? Right. This is none of that. And yes, I'm looking directly at you, director Todd Phillips of Joker. Yes. Um, yes, yes, yes. But this film, you know, he has he has commented himself about how this movie is, uh, you know, a depiction of gentrification and class warfare and capitalism and all that type of stuff. Um, and it is right there on the screen. Yeah. Now, I do think that, you know, in fairness to my own opinion, I do think that the film maybe runs about 10 minutes long. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, because it, 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 there's a, there's like about, this is almost like Lord of the Rings. There's about three natural endings this movie could, yeah. could have had. But in my mind, Wes Craven making a movie as opposed to trying to create a franchise, he's actually trying to tell a complete story. Yeah, so yeah, I, absolutely. I'll, I'll give him that. Um, and that little length of time actually does tie some bows up and allows for more commentary, you know. Um, it was a little perplexing to me when, and a little, you know, like, really? When all of a sudden the entire city shows up at the front door? Well, it wasn't the entire city. Okay, it wasn't the it was, city. It was that community. All but, that community. Which made me think about, first. For, okay, first of all, I, I agree with you. It runs about 10 minutes too long. It's it's maybe what? I think it's an hour and 47 minutes. Yes, hour It's an hour and 47 minutes. What I thought was, was really interesting, which would made me think of the Goonies, was that an hour in, Fool escapes. Right. And then he comes back right. to rescue this girl. So that now it has gone from horror trying to escape the monster to now it's become an adventure. Yeah. Because yeah. he's proactive and he goes in. And certainly once you get once you shift to that, that kind of helps with the near escapes and mm-hmm. the and the you you think you've escaped and but but the 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 monster is still there this that and the other. Well, as long as that dog was alive, as long as the dog as long was, was what was this Prince? As long as Prince he was Prince the Rottweiler, which is the most nineties of nineties <laughs> monsters. Yes. Which you want to talk about something they couldn't do in two thousand nineteen, mm. where they stabbed the dog. Mm-hmm. The- but what I liked about the community is that 
in contrast to the police who are oblivious because they have this veneer of respectability. I like that they establish at the very beginning of the film and it follows throughout whether we're talking about the 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 rumors of the gold coins. Right. Or or when Bill you, Bill Cobbs is absolutely grandpa exposition, as you said. But there had been hints throughout the film. Yeah, little, where yeah. characters said, you know, they say weird stuff about that house. Don't say that about the house. I love the fact that the community exists mm. as a community. And they say that that they own all these buildings. And we, as, as you go throughout the film in the background, you hear people talking yeah. about these people who own this property. And so that at the end, when they all rise up and come to the house, it's a little much. Yeah. But it's a little much in a film where a man dresses up as a gimp suit, hunts people throughout the house, and is probably a cannibal. Like, that part's a little unclear whether or not he's a cannibal, but I'm pretty sure he's a cannibal. Oh. See, I didn't... I guess I guess he is. I guess he is. Yeah. Because that is a little unclear. Because it doesn't necessarily say that he's he is a cannibal. He certainly is feeding people to the people under the stairs. Well, when he eats at the beginning, it's that hunk of meat, and he talks about there's yeah. buckshot in it. Yeah, that's true. Oh, that's right, because he spits out, and it's like he's got like a like a little saucer that's got like about like 12 pieces of buckshot. Right. So that's like his spittoon. Right. So I thought they yeah, were trying, right. trying to insinuate yeah, yeah, that, you're absolutely that, right. that he was a cannibal. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> but I like the fact that there was this clear split between what the people know mm-hmm. and what sort of standard society yeah. suspects. And, and in a lot of ways, I think they get this right in all the ways that Candyman gets it wrong. The first Candyman. The, the first yeah. can. So, and as we've said before, the film builds up so much goodwill. By then. That by the end. You're just there. You're just there. You, you, you're just there. That's true. That is very true. So I was okay with the 10. And I, I would have even said 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like I thought, I thought maybe at an hour 15, they could have started wrapping it up. Yeah. But it was still it was still good. It's still an interesting film. Yeah, um, yeah. Good storytelling. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed this film a lot. A lot of, a lot of good scenes in the movie. Um, also, we should give some props to the girl that plays uh, Alice AJ Langer. Oh yeah, oh you know, yeah. She 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 also is for her circumstance playing a very real child. Um, in this circum and, and man, you want to talk about a heartbreaking circumstance. That, Look, this to me the scariest moment in the film is the film between mother, the the, the scenes between mother and Alice. Oh yeah, where where oh, you yeah. want to talk about genre films that it reminded me of? Imagine Mommy Dearest played straight. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. It, it, it exactly. Is a duck. Can you go back? Okay, all right. Um the psychological horror elements to it in my mind were the were more horror than the gory parts. 
Yeah, because there's the scene where she puts on the she puts on this dress. Oh my goodness. That she made for her, um, and you're just feeling the tension. Yeah. Oh yeah. For her the whole time she's putting, and she sits there and she's brushing her hair, and you're like, oh my god, this is weird. Right. And where's this going? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh man. And then it's and then and then it comes. Where's the fork? <sighs> Woo! But before that. Did you lick this plate? Yeah. Yeah. Because they're not feeding her enough. Mm. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, that was, that, was, that was pretty raw. Incredible film. It was an incredible film. It's a good movie. Oh, no. A tree tried to go away. And I showed We're going to take an atom pause, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, I'm. I'm keeping all this in. Vince is, is daring me to edit, <laughs> edit stuff. Matter of fact, I didn't even hit the pause button. He's on his way back already. We're about to wrap up. We're not going to send this in for the awards. <laughs> I don't know if this will show up in our package. <laughs> this won't show up in the press kit. Yeah, no, nah, not this. This is not going to. This is not going to get us on a TV one. Probably not. Um, I got a question for you right after we finish wrap up this episode. Yes. Um, but here's a question: Is this a black film? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's a black film. Brandon Adams is decidedly the lead in this film. Absolutely. I think um, outside of, you know, mommy and daddy role, the other, you know, uh, supporting actor in this is decidedly Ving Rhames. Okay, so now we've got actual representation. Right. How about the story itself? The story speaks of decidedly the black experience. Okay. Um, uh, Has commentary on that relationship uh class warfare which is all like steeped in racism mm-hmm. there um i think like yeah this is definitely a black film i i completely agree with you right i, I everything you just said yeah now don't get me wrong i don't think west craven set out to make a black film well but i think this falls under that genre as well i don't know if i'm ready to say that i think there's always been a vein of social commentary with Wes Craven. A social film, but not necessarily a black film. But a social film that is informed by race, in this case blackness, is by default a black film. So he may not have said, I'm going to make a black film, but I do think he made he set out to make a film with social commentary on what everything you just said. Okay. And Wes Craven, you know, and, and this is going to be an ongoing conversation mm-hmm. because... I think so much of the genre fiction, when we fold race into it, changes it in different ways. And the director has to know that. So, like, I didn't, I didn't look into the casting of this, but I, it would not surprise me if he was always going to cast a black actor in this role. Okay. Because I I don't think it has as, you know, the scenes with them with the police. That story. The scenes with them, you know, I love the scenes where they parrot all of of that language that you heard in the night in the nineties. Oh, it's like we're prisoners in our own home and yeah. you know, all of that. 
I don't think it has as much bite. Okay. If these characters, so I I kind of disagree. I feel like Wes Craven set out to have these have this blackness as part of it. Okay, so you think that he, in doing so, was making this film for a black audience? Because I don't think he was. Oh, I don't for think. Like, yeah, I don't think audience. he was necessarily making for that's a black. That's more of what I was. Yeah, I don't to. think he's necessarily making it for a black audience. No, okay. that I do agree with you. Okay. Um. So yeah, I, I, so yeah, I think it's a black film. Yeah, me too. And I would highly recommend this film. Yeah, I think I think people should watch it. I think it's an enjoyable film and timely. And still, you know, that's the other thing. It's so timely. Yeah, and it ages well. I mean, it's, considering that it's early '90s, so it's, yeah. it's like almost thirty years old. Right, right. Um, it it ages pretty well. And even the even as as you said, the the facet of the film that talks about child abuse. Mm-hmm. There are so many, and Wes Craven said that this was based on a story. Based on a true story. A true about story. Two, uh, uh, burglars who broke into a home only to find that the the people there were actually uh, had two children that had been locked away. And, and so this has happened. And if you read about child abuse cases and, and you see it on the news periodically, this is something they say in the field. Mm-hmm. That middle class white children are actually abused more or abused longer because those families aren't as policed exactly as other families so exactly. there so it's it is this this vein of child abuse mm-hmm. that is invisible because no one suspects and and I think that's amazingly relevant so yeah. I, I completely agree with you yeah uh, we mentioned that this movie was a hit, just to let you know that he made this film on a $6 million budget, and in 1991, it grossed uh, $32 million. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So more than made back its its money. I'll tell you this. I'm pretty sure I saw this in the movies. Wow, really? Yeah, I, th- I, I really I like Wes Craven. I don't like devil stuff, demonic stuff, ghostesses. <laughs> Yes, you and ghosts. Me and ghosts. I don't really do that in kids. But I remember really enjoying this film. And still really enjoying this film. And we believe that you will too, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, check it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The People Under the Stairs. People Under the Stairs. All right. We got to get out of here. But before we tell you what's coming up next on our Oktoberfest, I invite you to send your feedback via email to michellemission at gmail.com. Or you can like and follow us on all of the social medias. That's Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Michelle Mission. Join the Michelle Mission Facebook group where we have a lot of phones with our missionaries. The Michelle Mission is a proud member of the Podglomerate Podcast Network, Podglomerate Curated Podcast, just for your earbuds. We are also available in an edited form as a radio show every Saturday at 1 p.m. on WPPM, 106.5 FM, Philly Cam, People Power Media here in the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection. And you can wake up with Demi Show Mission every Monday morning at 9 a.m., on 91.7 FM WKDU, the voice of Drexel University. <laughs> that was so, so on time. 
<laughs> that whistle tells us we got to get out of here. <laughs> Adam said you got to go. And now we've pulled out a recorder <laughs> and some maracas because why not? Sometimes it's time for the recorder and some maracas. All right. This one will we watch next week. <laughs> uh, I'm ready for a fight. I'm ready to fight you. I've been waiting to fight you about this for years. And tomorrow next episode, we're going to have a fight. We're going to go from one master to another. Oh, really? From Wes Craven to George Romero. Next week, we're doing Night of the Living Dead. The original. The original Night of the Living Dead. A black film. And we're going, I, and I, I, I suspect we're going to fight about it. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, it's the road to 200, so we got to bring out the bangers. Got to bring out the bangers. Uh, so put your boxing gloves on, ladies and gentlemen. Next week. George Romero's The Night of the Living Dead here on the Michelle Mission. Until then, he's Vince. I'm Len. That's Adam. (laughs) (laughs) And in party, we say, we'll see you when it's time to meet again. It's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again. <laughs>